What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button or that play button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is the first time you're checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with entrepreneurs, content creators, and just awesome folks that are on our radar and discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to run their business, create content, or just be more productive. Now, when it comes to toys, we go a little bit beyond action figures and things of that nature and kind of focus on what other people consider their toys and look at it in a more broad sense instead of just hey what action figures are you into some people might collect cars some people might collect bobby pins washing machines i I mean obviously i'm joking with some of that stuff but everyone's definition of toys is different and we embrace that here and it allows us to break up a lot of that business talk and entrepreneurial talk and focus a little bit more on some of the more personal things that our guests are into and just give people a little a little bit more of a natural free flowing conversation. So with that out of the way, let's get into some housekeeping and turn it over to this week's guest. First and foremost, um, I didn't even think about the numbers at this point, but this is actually our 50th episode of toys and tech of the trade it is also the season two finale some people probably have never noticed but we actually do toys and tech of the trade as a seasonal show with usually 25 episode seasons now a lot of people are probably wondering why we do this or why this works but if you're a podcaster and someone who's been doing this a long time You get burned out, you get tired, sometimes you need to recharge, sometimes you need to take a week or two away from the microphone and focus on building your brand, your profile, whatever the case may be, or more importantly, you're just you're just stressed out and you need a break. And once we started doing this podcast, I decided to switch to the seasonal format because it gave me not only something to look forward to, but it also gave me um pretty much a timeline for where I can take a break and also work on other aspects of the Rageworks brand and then kick off another season and come out swinging. So this is actually, like I said, our 50th episode, which is a hell of a milestone considering some of the ups and downs we've experienced. And as I said, it's our season two finale. And as such, you know, we're going to close things out with a very, very awesome guest that is not only going to run the gamut of some of the great stuff that we usually cover on this podcast, but he's going to talk about a lot of things that are uh, currently on my radar, things like crypto, things like uh, using comic books and trading cards as investment tools and not just hobbies. It's it's going to be an awesome conversation, and I'm really, really excited to share it with you. We're also going to get into some other things, but I'm going to turn it over to this week's guest a little sooner, and we'll save some of the other items that I want to discuss for the outro of this episode. So without any further ado, let's turn it over to our 50th guest for the season two finale of Toys and Tech of the Trade. Enjoy. My guest for this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade is content creator, entrepreneur, podcaster, Andrew Davis. Andrew hosts the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, and he also runs a separate Facebook Live show, which is also on YouTube, called Conversations in Pop Culture. Uh, A lot of 
interests that are going to cross over between comics, wrestling, and a ton of other stuff. And of course, we're going to get into the toys and tech of his trade. Andrew, what's going on, brother? Nothing much. I'm just happy to be here. You know, anytime I get interviewed, it's a good day. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because when you reached out via Podmatch, big shout out to Alex and his crew over there. Um, you know, I, obviously we got to do our due diligence, do our research, and I go, damn, there's there's a there's a lot of crossover here. I'm like, this is gonna be great. You know, just the, you know, I, I genuinely and and you know, again, as wrestling fans, I genuinely marked out when I saw it. I was like, oh. This is going to be awesome because we got so many, so many things that are similar and so many different content platforms we both appreciate. So I want to start with some of the easier stuff with regards to not one, but two shows. So which of the shows did you start doing first? Did you start doing Pop Anime Comics Lounge first or did you start doing the video show first? So I started with doing a straight podcast, uh, Pop Anime Comics Lounge. and. I the, the basic story is that I got demonetized on YouTube and I didn't start off doing podcast interviews. I actually started off doing written interviews and I was saying to myself, look, you know, nobody wants to read an interview. It loses a bit of its flavor because when you hear a voice, you can hear when somebody gets really excited. You can hear when they're sad. You can hear emotion. And there's nothing wrong with written interviews. They have a place. They work extensively, you know, and there are some of the best interviews I've ever, you know, read. Obviously, I've been reading. I've read in magazines and things like that. But I said, hey, nobody has time. Nobody wants to read this. So then I just did, jumped in, didn't know how I was going to distribute it, put it into an RSS feed, and then fast forward four episodes into starting to record interviews. I then created the podcast. And I've been going ever since. And uh, it's really cool doing the pre-recorded content because – Pop Anime Comics Lounge is a pre-recorded show right. versus a live show. And they have their merits, and they're very different beasts in a lot of ways. Now, for, for Pop Anime Comics Lounge, you were saying about how you, were, you drew inspiration from written interviews. Now, when you started doing this podcast, was the goal always to, to deliver just interviews, or did you intend to sprinkle in some of the other things that you're a fan of because I know some people they draw inspiration from you know I love video games so I'm gonna go after focusing on just video game creators was that always the underlying foundation for the podcast for you so for me um I came out of the world of producing content and producing curation and so I was doing a lot of anime videos and a lot of wrestling videos and a lot of comic videos on YouTube and I got burned out really quickly um, and then I just said, look, I don't want to do that anymore. All I want to do is I want to do interviews of essentially my heroes. So I interview a lot of comic creators, a lot of voice actors and actresses, a lot of professional wrestlers and a lot of cosplayers. And those are my interests, but I'm not going to go out there on my show and do the news or do a fun episode or do curation. I do interviews in specific areas. And I play in four areas. Every once in a while, I get a cool guest that hits me up that's slightly out of the norm. Maybe they're into Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe they're an author and they want to come on. But I deal in four segments, which is comics, cosplay, wrestling, and voice acting in the anime and cartoon world. And that's all I want to do. I don't do anything else. I don't really do curation anymore. Um, 
because I just don't have time. And honestly, I was miserable as a human being doing the new My Hero Academia review or how did SummerSlam sound, guys? You know, after a while, you get miserable doing it, and it's so competitive, that space. I can I can attest to that as somebody who, who did a podcast in that space uh, many, many, many years ago. It, it's very difficult because the the end result is always, are you going to attract an audience strictly on your merit, or are you going to attract an audience based on what you were saying, regurgitating essentially what everybody else is doing at that point your main objective becomes how do i make myself sound unique because to your point why would somebody want to hear your wrestling thoughts versus jim Cornette or vince russo or chris jericho think about it those are all people that are you're competing for in that space it it gets more complicated i mean just to speak about podcasting jim Cornette. everybody hates on jim Cornette. And you know what Jim Cornette's response to that is? And it's not a public response. It's like, thank you for buying me my third, fourth, fifth house. Yep. Because when he said, and I like Becky Lynch, and I know it's a little bit of an aside, but I think it's so relevant to podcasting right now, is he said, oh, you know, he says something about her getting pregnant and she has a million dollar deal. And he got a lot of hate for it. But guess what? He got a, made a lot of money off of that statement, too. Everybody paid attention. Everybody was like, screw Jim Cornette or F Jim Cornette. Congratulations. All that hate only helped him. His sponsorship was thrilled with him on that point. And there you go. So it becomes an issue that and, and even in interviewing, it's, you know, what how controversial you get definitely affects viewership. I agree. I think that we we run into a situation especially in in his case where he he leverages good and bo- and and good and bad press and the funny thing is when it comes to getting your shows out there and your content out there what people don't understand is that every tweet every negative thing you write all you're doing is fueling the algorithm that's going to help people find that xyz more and it's it's always very interesting because the biggest thing that can impact a brand or anything else is either silence with your voice or lack of providing money to that particular brand. You talking about it is just fueling the machine. It, 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 it's it's very interesting where no, no and, and, and I hate to go political and go a little bit me too on this. But if a husband cheats on his wife and he's a celebrity, he doesn't get canceled for cheating on his wife. He, True. in fact, in fact, more times he gets applauded. It's, it's, it's a crazy circumstance because that negative press doesn't affect. Now, if you commit a crime, you know, if you drove drunk down the street and then you get a DUI, that doesn't really affect you either. But if you commit a serious heinous crime, that, that causes an effect on your career and it affects you. But it's the idea that the negativity of you cheating on your wife and your celebrity, if Simon Cowell cheated on his wife, not really going to affect his position and affect his money or affect his brand all that much. In fact, he's going to be rewarded for it in the long run. No, it's a, it's a, it's definitely an interesting shift with regards to that approach. Now, obviously you, you playing in the sandbox and you've been doing this a long time and you also are doing video. You know, I want to, I want to boil down to, you know, the backbone of how you build out your content. So obviously you're doing interviews 
what's your what's your process to prep for an interview? How are you recording and generating this particular type of content for the audio side of things? So for um conversation for 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 Pop Anime Comics Lounge, what I do in that is I was using Skype and I was using Ecamm and I record on Skype and then I've also recorded on Zoom. Um, and it's just, you know, it's one and done. It's easy. They have built in recorders. And so from a recording standpoint, I'll put on my headphones, you know, I got, you know, just a Logitech $30 headset. I pop it in, I go into a quiet area of my house and I just sit down and we do the interview and that's sort of basic. And then I go in GarageBand and I clean it up later on. Um, cause I have a Mac and GarageBand works. Um, I spent a lot of time. I remove a lot of the ums, ahs, pauses. Right. So from a technical side, um, I'm very bare of bones because and, – and my rationale behind this is you could have the nicest microphone. You could have you know, a, a bunch of materials. You could have a big you know, leveler, and that's all fine and dandy, and that's great, and it could help. I mean you know, I've listened to amazingly done – edited, nice audio, everybody sounds perfect, everybody's in tune, and that helps a show. But if you don't have the horses, which I'm going to get to in a second, it doesn't matter how good it sounds. I've heard amazing podcasts that were an hour and a half that had 45 minutes of content because the people didn't edit it out. There's a two-minute pause for no good reason, or there's a lot of ums and ahs, and that's an issue. So that's why I spend a lot of time editing, and I'll be the first to say that I'm, you know, pop out of my comic songs. The editing isn't the greatest. The sound isn't the greatest, but I do better than other people because, well, I have really pointed content. And also I give you, you know, there might be a five second pause versus a 30 second pause. And it is. And I take out a lot of those ums and ahs. And if I go for an hour and a half, you know, and I take out 25 minutes of ums and ahs, you're getting a cleaner product. Right. So from, from a technical side, that's how I handle it. But, from, but I don't win on the technical side. I win and I do a lot of homework on my guests. So when I was doing Pop Anime Comics Lounge and I'm on hiatus for a little bit, what I was doing is that I would sit down and then I'm going to go and find out every little component that that person has done. I listen to other interviews. I go through with a wrestler. I go through their cage match. Then I go and I actually look on you know, other sites like Title Match Network. I go and look on IWTV. I actually say, hey, when was your first match? And I ask them questions sometimes if I'm confused. Also, I look up what's going on in the news. I go through their Twitter feed. You know, I go through their Facebook feed if I can get access to their Facebook feed. And so I'm going through a lot of data. And so that's how I do well. And then I know everything about my guests before they enter my space or, or enter the podcast room, whether that's on Zoom or Skype or however else we're going to record, I make sure I know everything about who they are, how they speak, their cadence, and I just prep up and I, and I do my homework. Now, fast forward to conversations in pop culture, that's a live show. So editing doesn't exist, <laughs> which is nice because we're going live and it's relevant. It's it's not in an RSS feed. It's on Facebook. It either streams to Twitch. It streams to a private Facebook group that I manage that is free to join um, for comic people. Um, or And then it streams onto YouTube. 
So what I do with that, um, and I've gotten very good, is that that tends to be more topical. Right. So I tend to stay with things, especially because when you're dealing with somebody who has a Kickstarter, for instance, and they're launching a comic, you know, we talk about the book. I'm not going to say, oh, you're writ 50 books. We're not going to talk about all 50 of those books. It tends to be more topical saying, okay, what's going on with this? And then we deep dive into it. Um, but what I require for comic people is I require a free preview copy of your book. I require you to answer certain questions. I require you to sort of not send me like the top secret files, but give me a little bit more information so I can actually do my job. Right. Um, and then we talk about the books and then we talk about relevance with comics. We have, you know, discussions about Kickstarter, but obviously I prep up and I have a bunch of bullet points. So I write three to four pages of questions or bullet points or talking points. And then I have my questions up in front of me when I'm doing these interviews. Um, but I'm very good at it because in 2020, I did 90. Wow. Um, and I started late in March. Um, and I never did anything live before. And I was using Ecamm, streaming to Facebook. And I said, hey, COVID happened. I needed to do something. And then this year, I'm at over 130. Um, and I'm going to be hitting about 180 to 185. Wow, that's um, impressive. So, and, and it's the idea that I do four or five a week. And I just bang them out and an interview especially with, with certain interviews takes me three, four hours at the most, at the most. Some of these interviews take me like an hour and a half to write because I just know how to write it now. And when you're writing so much, one of the greatest things that you could do if you want to get into this space is do an interview every day or every other day and you will become better. And I don't mean to sound egotistical, but you know, I am better than I think most people who have been doing this for 20 years because I have so much more experience, especially just this year alone. The growth has been from like zero to 300 because I do so much content. I know people who don't do 130 interviews in five years and I did it in a little under 10 months. And that's how you get really good. It's just by doing it over and over and over again. And and it, it and it doesn't just apply to podcasting. If you want to become a better writer, write every day. If you write every day, you'll become better. If you want to become jacked up in the gym, work out every day. If you want to, you know, become better at business, work on business plans, read business books, build businesses. Because if you do that every single day or every single week, you're going to become better. Absolutely, it's the you you truly are reinforcing, you know, the ten thousand hour rule when it comes to mastery. Um, I think that there, there's a lot to, to pull from, from a lot of your key points here. Um, doing the, doing the Facebook show, obviously your, your equipment and your parameters change. I know you were talking about that you're using Ecamm to stream and you're using that. And so then I was, I was using Ecamm. Now I'm on StreamYard. Right. So StreamYard, the, the reason why is that. And Ecamm didn't have, and this is something that, so I used Ecamm in 2020 and I was brand new to the space and Ecamm was like, oh, you could stream out to Facebook. I'm like, this is awesome, guys. <laughs> this is cool. And I was familiar with Ecamm and then I learned about StreamYard and the advantage to StreamYard was that a basic package on a monthly position was $25. You pay for the year, it's $20. You save yourself 60 bucks. And you could stream out to three places with StreamYard. I think Ecamm also just changed that. But it's the idea that 
you can stream to more places. And in this space, you want to be in as many places as humanly possible. Absolutely. So that that's why I switched, switched over to StreamYard. Um, Ecamm and StreamYard, as far as I'm concerned, um, StreamYard, I think, is a little bit cleaner and has a little bit of a better interface. Um, but that's just me. But e- either one is fine to stream on. And I think now Ecamm, you could stream to multiple platforms as well. But that was the only reason why I was interested in going to StreamYard is because it's just the idea you could stream to YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch or into another Facebook group or your personal Facebook page all at the same time. And that's helpful because what that does is that, you know, it allows me to simulcast. Um, but as far as equipment on those things, um, I legitimately go raw. Um, I sit you know, at my parents' kitchen table, because I'm in my parents' house right now, uh, in between jobs, and I sit at their kitchen table. You know, it's pretty quiet, and we just go because it's live, and anything could happen live. If my dog barks, so <laughs> be it. You know, if a, I mean, obviously, I, I record at seven o'clock at night. I highly doubt there's going to be like a construction digger digging in the back, you know, of my house at seven at night. But if there's kids playing outside, you know, as long as they're not like, throwing a brick at my window we're all good right anything could happen live and that's what makes live really cool is that anything could happen and i think people really understand that you have a live event it's different than a pre-recorded event right now what uh what what cameras are you using for your for your video podcast for your video show i should say i just use my max camera and 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 it works and it's great now Eventually, I do want to get a better camera. Right. But honestly, for for the time being, I'm doing pretty good on the internet considering um, where I'm at. And and also, if I have to make a choice between spending money on equipment or spending money on marketing, I'm going to choose spending money on marketing. Right. Because I think most people who are live streaming, again, I go back to it. It's the content that matters. It's getting it out in front of people, and it's the secondary position. I mean, I have a video up on YouTube right now that has over 40,000 views. It's a three-and-a-half-minute video of me explaining animation, uh, original video animation, OVA. Reason why? And it, every day, every month, it gets views. I haven't touched it. It's a really bad video, guys. I don't look good in it. It's poor quality, but people watch it and people like it because I'm explaining a concept with, like, you answered my question in three minutes while everybody else took an hour to answer my question. You, 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 it, it, so, so the content matters and, and the explanation. I watch tutorials on YouTube, and this is my, my thought process, is that some of that video stuff is bad. But guess what? You're telling me how to fix something. You're telling me about a product. You're explaining something to me that actually helps me. And is this the greatest video quality? Is your audio wonky? Sure. But did you solve my problem? Of course. And so that's the thing about interviewing as well is that when I'm dealing with somebody else, I can't control what camera they have. Right. So if they have a basic camera, I have a basic camera. Nobody's coming for the camera element in a live stream. They're coming because they want to hear what I have to say or how I do an interview. Or they're coming because they want my. They're curious about my guest. Hundred percent, and I'm glad. I'm glad you broke it down uh, in such a granular fashion. And this is one of the things I want people to take from this conversation and any others is the fact that 
sometimes to just get out the gate and just start, you have all the equipment you need. Sometimes you already have the phone. In your case, like you said, you're using the camera from your Mac. It's about the content delivery and getting out there and getting it, getting the information to the audience. I mean, and the other thing is about StreamYard. That's very cool. Is that they build essentially where it's an online software, so you could use your iPad, you could use your phone, you can use your Mac. You know, I don't know what other things are out there that that could be used. I mean. I don't see why technically if you didn't have an, you, you didn't have a, um, if you have a camera on your TV or something that you couldn't use that if it's connected to the internet. So you can use whatever has a camera. And that's the other thing too is that I think people think that, oh man, I, I, you're in Facebook groups, right? Yep. Have you seen, and, and I saw it where somebody wants to charge somebody like $2,500 for four episodes to start a podcast. And my response to that is, are you out of your effing mind? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of gurus, a lot of gurus doing that. A lot of gurus trying to sell you a course, sell you, um, you know, some some a bunch of stuff that you don't need. To your point, you know, you and I are speaking. You're using a Logitech headset. When I started podcasting, you know, 15 years ago, I had a headset and audacity. And I did that for countless, 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 countless episodes. Because at the end of the day, the content, like you said, is what mattered most. Now, now I will say this. So it's okay to take a marketing class and saying, look, I'm a podcaster. There's a marketing guru out there. That's fine. Yep. I'm not discounting any of those because I'm not a good marketer. I'm figuring out how to do it. I've taken some social media classes for 20 bucks here, 20 bucks there. Udemy is a great example of that. So if you go on Udemy and I don't have any, you know, connections, I'm not getting any affiliates or anything like that, but you type in podcast and you got a $20 podcasting class, that's fine. Yep. You know, that is absolutely fine because guess what? $20 is not going to break you. And if that thing sucks and you don't get mm-hmm. any merit out of it, that's fine because great. You wasted 20 bucks. I waste 20 bucks going to Starbucks the other day. Yep. You know, so that's not an issue. It's when you're spending two grand. For something that should cost you legitly a hundred dollars, you know, at the most for podcast help, you know, that that's where it becomes an issue. And also there's all this free stuff out there. I'm actually, when, when I got my own place, I actually used to teach a podcast class and the deal fell through and it became a very bad circumstance, but I have a lot of that content and I'm one of the things that I want to do is I'm going to go create another YouTube channel and I want to create a 14 hour free podcasting class because I hate all these gurus on this space and I'm not looking to, to sell anybody anything. It will be free. It'll be publicly out there. If you find value in it, great. If you don't, that's great too because I hate all of these top people who, because what, what everybody doesn't understand is that they didn't make their money in podcasting. They made their money they made some money in podcasting and they make the bulk of their money selling you how they made money, a little bit of money in podcasting. And then they sold their class on you how to make money in podcasting. Absolutely. I, tell you, and I don't know about you, but I just got a sponsor for, for, for the first time in eight years and I'm getting a lot more now. And I got a very cool project coming up, but it took eight years to figure out how to get there. It took a lot. It took also me to be running out of money to get my ass in gear. And, you know, my point is that it's not easy to get a sponsorship. So whatever they're teaching you, it's not easy. 
No, I think I think that the problem is and you you brought up a, a lot of great points. It's you, the best investment you're always going to make is in yourself. Like you were saying before, you'd rather invest in the marketing than the equipment. And it's true because you're identifying those key elements that can help you take your show or your product to the next level. And one I'm, I'm going to add a caveat. Sorry to interrupt, but I do need to make something crystal clear. The, the, the also, though, you need to understand that you need a budget for what you're doing. So I have covenants in my personal life where I'm my my show can only require so much money every single year. Right. And that's it. Where Because I have covenants to invest in the stock market where I understand that I am investing in the stock market. I'm funding Roth IRAs. I'm matching a 401k when I had one. All that stuff comes first because the difference is that, you know, paying my mortgage comes first or paying my rent always comes first. So if I don't have money for marketing or for my podcast marketing, but I paid my rent, took care of investing in the stock market and made sure I'm financially stable, that's fine. Because I've heard stories of people constantly pumping money in. And that's what also people need to understand is that unless this is your main job, and if this is your main job, then you have you have a business plan and it doesn't apply. But if this is a side hustle, you're trying to figure out how to grow your show, that comes second. It comes as an expensive hobby. It doesn't come as an investment vehicle, and you should always make sure that it's great to invest in yourself, but make sure you are financially able to invest in yourself and not cut off other generating cash opportunities. Like you should not be, if you have debt, you should not be investing in yourself. You should be servicing that debt. No, I agree. I think I think too many people, especially with with the pandemic, um, they they kind of fell into that trap of betting on a lot of things without doing the due diligence and the homework and, you know, putting up what I like to call house money. You're putting up all this house money instead of putting income that you can afford to lose. And a lot of people got burned. I, I mean, I see it happening. And, you know, you brought up uh, the, putting money aside in the stock market, keeping keeping all those assets and things secure. And it leads me to something else that you had uh, mentioned when we, we connected about, you know, alternative investing resources, are you, uh, uh, using those resources as ways to fund your other endeavors, or are you just playing in that space to grow that space on its own? So uh, as an alternative investor, I buy a comic book and if I buy the book for a hundred, I sell for two fifty eBay takes 13%, which is a little over, which is about 30 bucks, give or take. I'm sure somebody can do the math. I think it's somewhere in that neighborhood um, around there. And then I pay myself back, but I don't take that $100 and put it into the bank account. I put it into a new book, and then I pull out the profits, and then I throw it into the stock market or an index fund. Um, so my money for my comic book investing and my Pop Funko investing and my Pokemon card investing, all it does is that it goes into – Continuing buying new products and do it again, and then it goes into the stock market and into investing into crypto that then generates me interest or I stake my crypto and uh, it adds wealth to me. So that's a whole separate business from my uh, podcasting stuff and uh, the comic book stuff hasn't touched any of the pot of um, my podcasting and got it off the ground. It did initially right. where I had to raise capital. And I sold some some expensive books, and I raised about fifteen hundred dollars off of comics, and I was thrilled to do it. 
And then, um, and it got my website, it got my initial podcast off the ground, but I haven't had to raise capital ever again because I've funded it through my job as a, a hobby position rather than, you know, my alternative investing, which has funded a lot of growth capital. That's and it. Stocks, and I'm going to continue to do it because guess what? If I can add another like $4,500 worth of investments every year by selling comics and not have to add to my comic fund, it's a no-brainer. No, absolutely. I mean, as somebody who's collected comic books for a long time, the the pendulum shift where comics went from strictly hobby to investing has been tremendous. I mean, you know, I, I have books that are still in conventional bags and boards. And then when, you know, we started grading and doing all of this stuff, it really changed the game in terms of monetary value to the point where people were buying just slabs of graded books exactly like you were saying because they were investment pieces they didn't really they weren't invested so much in growing their collection they were invested on holding on to that particular high graded book for uh, like like you, like you were saying a future purchase a friend of mine likes to say selling your drugs to buy more drugs you know he would you know you take your graded book sell that book buy two or three more slabs and wash rinse and repeat so it, it, it's great for me because I'm not growing the funds. So, so so I treat it like private equity where I am not growing the funds. So if I sell a book for 200 bucks, I paid 100 for it, and I make 60 bucks in profit, I buy another $100 book. I take money on table because the whole problem of what's going on in this segment is that the market, in my opinion, is overinflated. And I get attacked in Facebook groups for this. And I think everybody's wrong where all these books are really hot to get super exciting. And then what winds up happening is that I think in four or five years, nobody's going to be talking about this stuff. And Stray Dogs is a good example of that Iron Man 9, this uh, invincible, you know, Rory Williams just sort of debuted it in that copy. And the book went for 6,000. I made a statement in a Facebook group saying that book's never going to reach its height again because now, everybody wants to sell one of them. And when more product comes into a market, yep. if you there's only one book out there, you can get whatever you want for. If there's three books, you get what you want for those books. But when 23, 25, 100 of them are out of the market and they're constantly in the market and now the market is from 70 to 100, there's only so much you can ask for that book because there's other options. Yeah, I mean, 2020 was very indicative of that. I know a lot of fellow collectors, a lot of people that were going and, you know, waking up and going to Target and buying Pokemon cards and, you know, all of the all of the usual stuff. And what would happen is now we fast forward a year later, a lot of that inventory that they thought, oh, man, this is going to be this is going to be my golden ticket. It's exactly what you said. You got 50, 60 people that went and bought the same deck of Pokemon cards or the same book. And they all put the books or the cards out for hundreds and hundreds of dollars more than they're worth. And now they're barely selling them to break even because, to your point, there's so much saturation now it doesn't even pay. And, and also what, what winds up happening is that it's first to market. So I had a personal book. It's one of my favorite books from Zenoscope. It's called Firefighter Sexy Samantha is the cover of it. Book when it came out, couldn't find it on eBay. It took eight years for about 20 of them to surface. So when one of them went up, it was a $200 book. Now, I wasn't going to sell because it's a personal book. I like the book. It's one of my favorite comics out there. 
So it's a personal book versus an investment, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with having personal items. And so, and if you're collecting and you say, hey, look, I understand that I buy four items and one of them I'm keeping for myself for the next 30 years. I do that. Everybody does that. Everybody who's a collector does that. We all have favorite items that are just not for sale. So this book, though, I knew was like a $200 book. But then now a bunch of them eight years later from Zenoscope are coming out on eBay. And now it's a $100 book, Yep. which is fine because I personally don't care. But it took eight years for it to come to market. Yeah, it's a different it's a different but it's a different battleground at that point. And the other part of it, you know, before we move into some other items, is that a lot of people, which I've noticed with crypto, I've noticed with everything else, they're they're jumping in and they're not, like I said before, doing their due diligence. They're not doing their homework. They're not learning the landscape. And then they go, they go 10 toes deep and they get burned. I mean, crypto was a great example of that last year. Uh, you know, the whole Dogecoin fiasco and everybody just, oh, I'm going to buy the hundreds of thousands of dollars in Dogecoin. And then, you know, they take a, a massive loss on it and they're scrambling. And I said, hey, you should have done your due diligence. I, I don't know everything about, you know, crypto, but, you know, what, what I do know is Ethereum is here to stay. Yep. Solana is, is very interesting. Um, But I don't know much about Solana. And I hate to say this, but I know Bitcoin's going to be around forever. I know Ethereum is going to be around forever. I don't need to do my due diligence on Bitcoin or Ethereum yep. because they are stable in the crypto world and they're vetted beyond the definition of vetted. So if you just put your money in Ethereum or Bitcoin, you're going to be fine in the long run. Right. I, I, I'm confident enough to say that and I'm not a crypto guy. I'm not giving advice, but if you are really lazy, those are good places to put. But I have other coins that I've vetted and I've done very well with it. But I've looked at it. I understand it. Also, I'm throwing 20 bucks in here, 20 bucks mm-hmm. in here every other weekend, 20 bucks into Algorand. Yep. And what I like about Algorand is Algorand produces an interest rate. Yep. Four so percent. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting my my money out of it and that it's effective and it fits into my perf, my portfolio that I like daily returns. And so. I understand that Algorand at a certain point is not going to be able to pay 4%. But guess what? You know, it is as long as they're paying 4%. And I got in at a very nice rate at about 86 cents. Yep. You know, I think they're what, at like $2. They, they fluctuate between what, $1.60 and like $1.40. Yep, that's they're correct. $1.60 and $2.40. $2.40. I'm sorry. So they have a pretty big spread, but, you know, I'm going to make my money on them regardless. And, they are very much a very interesting coin right now, but a lot of people get burned, and I think Solana is going to be fascinating. And then we get into NFTs, and NFTs are complicated entities. Yeah, the, the NFT market is is pretty insane, and I'm I'm actually glad you brought it up because I was going into that just because it it kind of ties into what you're doing and the alternative investment strategies. NFTs is in the same camp where there's a lot of layers to it. But people are just jumping in, thinking, "Oh, I'm going to buy this shark. I'm going to buy this shark for for ten dollars and sell it for for a thousand. You know, it, it, the problem with NFTs. And, and again, I'm not an expert. I don't own any. Here's the problem: is that 
Everybody can create an NFT. Me and you right now can create an NFT. Yep. If you really want to. And and by the way, we could do it. If you want it to go on for another hour, we can go. <laughs> I can share my screen with you and we could create an NFT live on the air and then we could list it on OpenSea or on a variety of other places. That's the problem. Does it mean the NFT is going to sell? What does it mean? What's going to happen with the NFT? Is, is it going to be a loss? Is it going to be a win? Who knows? And so, but that's not necessarily minting an NFT. So all these people are minting NFTs and they're like, there's going to be random drops. There's going to be random this, but it's cool to have a little cute cat NFT, but what is its application use? Where is it going? And what is it doing? Yep. And this, this is, this is my problem with NFTs is that I can create one, you can create one, and then everybody's creating one. It was like, this is the next big thing. And then they all sell out. And I'm like, yeah, but what's the unloading factor of it? What does it do? Where is it going? And you're all going to get burned. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember last year, the big thing was the, um, you might remember this, you might have heard of it, the uh, the NBA Top Shots, you know, buying the, the, the virtual basketball cards. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of cool in theory, but it's like, you know, going back to us being collectors, if we bought a comic book you have that tangible item you bag and board it you slab it you hold on to it you're buying this digital card and yeah it's cool you have it but the the trading i feel that it removes the intimacy of trading you know what i mean like when you buy a book or you have comic cards and you go into a comic book store there's a whole experience that comes with that you you know you connect with your local store you're supporting a local business you're trading you're talking shop you're fostering a community. I don't feel NFTs have done that. I, I think it's that. I also think it's the idea that it's cool if you're doing it with a virtual like highlight, for instance. I get that. Or a virtual trading card. I get that, too. That it, it, I'm not as familiar with that because that, that's also a different type of community. Right. And I think, I think that can be solved. Th- those things can be solved because you could create a Facebook group. You could create a Discord. You could create an environment that could foster it. And it won't be the same as going to a card shop and everybody's talking and saying, oh, no, what do you think of this card or stuff like that? Or being, you know, at card shows or events. But I think, I think that a community can be built around virtual cards. Um, where I think it gets complicated with NFTs is that I was thinking about buying an NFT of this little cute little cat thing. And I was thinking about minting it. And it's not even that it was like the gas fees was going to be like a hundred dollars. That that's another problem with NFTs that the gas fees have to come cheaper down yep. tremendously. Um, because the NFT is eighty bucks and then my gas fees are one hundred forty. You know, there, there's a problem when when it costs more to actually mint the NFT than the NFT itself costs. Um, and, and that 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 that's my my issue with it in a lot of ways. But even going further, like. What is the application? Like, I understand that if it's a one-on-one LeBron virtual card, okay, that has value because, well, LeBron has value. Right. Or I can't think of if, if we're minting, I can't think of another player, Trey, um, Trey Young, I think, right? Yep. It, it is the yeah. So 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 you know, or Carmelo Anthony. I don't know if Carmelo is playing. I'm not. I'm not into basketball, guys. Right. I'm. I'm really not. That not the guy to talk about. I'm more into baseball, more into Pokemon cards. But I think I think the point's being made is that I think that when you're minting a cat, you're minting crypto frogs or cyber apes, I'm saying to myself, what's the application here? And I think it's just a big spec market. 
And hate to say this, but again, as I said, we could go do it right now and we could go mint, you know, cyber goldfish for, for all I care. <laughs> And, 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 and guess what? If we really wanted to and we had, you know, a certain amount of money or we figured out how to do it, I don't know an exact man, like 8,800 of them or 88,000 or 8,888 of them. But, you know, I'm sure we could figure it out and great. You know, you get a piece of software, it randomly generates and we can walk away with legitimately in profit, like a cool, like four or five million dollars. Easy. It's not yep. hard. It's not hard to do this. And people will buy it, which is crazy. And so I think it's, I think that some of these things are going to be worth money, but I think the majority of it's a scam. It's a it's a scary it's a scary thing. Uh, well, it's scary on some sides, but it's it's motivational on the other. And the only reason I say that is, mo- and I say motivational, is because a lot of young kids are going, like you just said, hey, we could sit here and create an NFT. A lot of young kids are going, creating an NFT, doing the exercise, putting it out. And making a couple of bucks, I almost equated to the modern lemonade stand. You know, you got young kids now going out there doing this stuff, learning a business. Where, 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 where it gets complicated is that application use. I'll give a great example. So, a few people know about this and what I do. I build custom Lego instructions. I tend to do Lego mosaic work. I tend to do, you know, like I just did a tribal Charizard, and I actually just built the instructions on a a really cool software so i can go sell those instructions you know i understand i think it's transformative enough and and obviously i should probably speak to a lawyer before doing this but i think i can sell it because i think it's transformative enough and i think that you know it's copyrighted protected from from the idea that that i modified it enough i built the design i built the instructions and so what if i created an nft of that and now in the NFT, the application use is that there's one on one of these instructions. And if you want to build this, you have to buy the NFT. Right. Now that is a use, mm-hmm. a distribution use. And so now we're getting into something that's helpful, distributing things and using NFTs for distributing. You know, I have a podcast. What if I made every, you know, thing and I made the NFT the master of the original audio? every change in the audio and now it's a gigantic history of it and cool. And then what, what, I mean, I mean, if you really want to get into business, what if then, you know, I started taking off my episodes and then the only way you could listen to that episode is in an NFT. And in five years, you know, that those episodes start coming off of iTunes and the only way to listen to them is in an NFT. And then what you do, and this is where business stuff gets really fun and it could, this idea could fail. There's a lot of flaws in it, so feel free to criticize. But what if I, you know, I haven't interviewed wrestler Lou Fisto. What if I made an NFT of my interview with her, then I sell it to her at a very discount rate, but I get a 5% kickback in Ethereum to me. And then at some point, she releases that into the market, and then that interview disappears, and somebody wants to own the rights to listen to that interview, and then it's getting publicly traded around. And every time it gets publicly traded, I get a 5% position back to me. Now you're running a real business. Yep. Because the, real, the real money in NFTs, in my opinion, is the royalty. It's not the initial sale. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you actually took a few minutes to, to break that down in a more easily digestible way. Because as always, we want to bring value. That, that's, that, that's my thought. 
Yep. Yeah, I could be completely wrong. Oh, no, no, no. I, again, it's it's your independent thought, but I'm glad that you took the time to to break that down because, again, I feel that a lot of what's happening isn't being simplified enough to the layman to where people are jumping in, again, without proper explanations and they're hoping to get rich quick, and that's not the case. I mean, I had somebody asking me about, you know, getting Pokemon cards graded, and I'm like, listen, you know, it's it's the same thing. You got to go. You got to find the right ones. You got to get them graded. And based on the grading of that card is where the money is. And it's not just about, oh, I got this card and I'm going to go get it graded. Not every card is going to be a home run. And I know you can attest to that. Or, 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 or I'll give a better example. I Please do. I like getting my I like getting my comics graded. I have a two Pokemon cards that I need to get sent out. I don't I don't know how familiar you are with Pokemon cards, but one of the hottest cards right now is a special delivery bid off. Okay, it's 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 super hot because nobody knew when it was going to drop, and, and, and what you needed to do it was actually really cool. Um, the, the story behind it is it's awesome. This program does this all the time, where they just say, "Hey, you know, if you spend twenty dollars or more, we're going to send you this card for free." Hmm. So I bought six packs for twenty five bucks off of Pokemon dot com. Got free shipping on it, and then I get that card with it, and it's like a super promo card. It's a two hundred dollar card right now on eBay. Um, I personally want it for my own collection. I have a Galdorian Ponyta, which is in the Cinnamon Toast, you know, box. That's another card that's really, really valuable, and that's going to be more valuable because it's a promo card. And well, you know, you had to get it in Cinnamon Toast Crunch. <laughs> um, so obviously, those are two cards on the planet to get graded. I have a few more. I have like a special, you know, you know, like uh tricolor rainbow melody card that i just got that's like a 25 dollar card maybe graded if it comes back in a high grade it'll be maybe 70 bucks um and so i'm going to be sending out sooner about four to five cards to cgc how long um, does the grading take for for that process just to inform the listeners uh cgc is a, a freaking pain in the ass um that, that 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 they're so backed up and they're so messed up that I actually have no idea. Um, CGC and Comics has been backed up for six to eight months now. Wow. Um, CBCS, I have a book called Canto One that was sent in in April. It is now being processed, and I'm expecting it. And hopefully, I'll get it back by November. Jeez. Um, now I was getting signed, and I understand signing takes a little bit of time. Right. But I mean, I sent it in in April. Signing took place on May 5th, um, and we are in October 7th. So, I mean, that that's a pretty – that's a five-plus months of, of me sending an item, not having it, and waiting for it to get back. Um, CGC in the past has been about three months turnaround time, 12 weeks, which isn't bad. Right. Um, but five, six, seven months, that's that's rough. So that that's what you can expect. But – to, to, to even go in, into, you know, all this stuff about due diligence, you need to know what the hell you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's so important. And it even goes back to, to, to podcasting and everything else. You need to know what you're doing. And look, if you don't know what you're doing, and, and I say this because obviously, you know, wh- one of the reasons why I'm not really heavy into NFTs is I have a lot of equity in comics. You know, I have over $100,000 worth of comics. You know, not everything needs to be sold, but I'm trying to sell in the next 18 months, like 30 to 40 grand of that. 
I, I have close to $200,000 worth of merchandise down in my basement. And, well, I want to move more into cash and back off a little bit and curtail the collection down for a little bit and then, you know, get back into it. But I want to make exits. And that's the thing is that I am too heavy into equity. So an NFT and a comic book are the exact same thing with an equity position that doesn't produce a dividend that can produce growth. And it's just what somebody is willing to pay for it. Right. The difference between NFT and a comic is I legitimately, if I wanted 50 grand for my comic collection, I can go to a comic store or multiple or go to Dave and Adams or a variety of bigger buyers and say, look, here's all my CGCs. Here's all this stuff. I want out. What can you give me for it? Right. And they might make me an offer. And so I legitimately can go to a place, call them up, or they'll come to my house. They'll thumb through it and they'll give me an offer. Right. With an NFT. That that's not happening because nobody's buying NFTs that way. Nope, not yet. Definitely not. Hundred percent. Think they'll ever do it because it's just not the way it works. Yeah, I think um, one one last thing before we move into uh, the hot seat. Um, what what are some tools that you feel are important that people can look into? Whether it's besides your content, of course. Um, YouTube or books, if they wanted to get into this type of alternative investing, and I'm and I'm going to use comics and then cards separate. Oh man, um, don't read anything while you're drinking alcohol because it make it worse. <laughs> um, that, that that that's that's one. Also, stay off of eBay when you're drinking. That, that's two. Um, I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Of course. Um, it, all, all things. Um, uh, kidding aside, at least with with, with comics. Um, CGC is a grading company. I would read their website because they have an FAQ. CBCS has an FAQ. Um, that stuff is very, very helpful. Um, also, there are plenty of good people on YouTube. Um, problem with, with, with YouTube, I know you said not on YouTube, but people on YouTube do not give the basic advice, but they give a lot of top 10 lists. And that at least gives you some inclination of what's out there. Okay. Um, just you have to be very wary of those top 10 lists because the second a top 10 list comes out, it changes what's on that list as far as price goes. Because now there's movement in the market and there's a third force on a two-forced market, essentially, if that makes any sense. Meaning that if you know prior to that top 10 list, a book is selling for $1,000 and then 20,000 people see – that the book is selling for a thousand dollars, and then that's going to affect how many books come into the market because everything's going at a thousand that lowers the price or it raises the price depending right. on what's going on. Um, so that that's one. Um, yeah, and, and then just just you know, there's a bunch of podcasts out there. Um, there's also a bunch of magazines, and there's a bunch of people who are writing this stuff. Um, obviously, people have books on the basics, but a lot of this is just you know, at least at least how I feel, especially with comics. Um, you know, the the best piece of advice I give is learning trial by fire. And, w- and what I suggest to people is that if you want to get into this space, go to a comic shop for twenty bucks. You know, every other week, pick up a DC book, pick up a Marvel book, and then the other three or four books you're going to pick up. Look at what's cool. Look what's selling. Look what you know is out there. You know, pay attention to certain things that are going on. In the comic world, you know, obviously look at what properties are being licensed on Netflix and on Hulu, on Amazon, you know, 
and then see if there's comic properties surrounding them because that also is a big thing. And just do a little research, you know, read Bleeding Cool. Just read read the headlines on Bleeding Cool on, you know, comicbooknews.com, you know, and then a bunch of comic sites. If you type in comic news, a bunch of sites will pop up and just read the headlines before you even get into any comic book investment. That's going to give you an inclination of what's out there. And also just start speaking to a comic shop owner and say, hey, what do you recommend and what's hot? You know, and, and sort of say, hey, this is my interests because if you like something and you're like me, I'm a pretty normal guy where I hit, you know, some things that, that I'm interested in, some things that I like do well and other things don't. But again, it's 80 20 because you only need to be right 20% of the time to make money in this segment. Gotcha. I think uh, that's a that's a great way to uh, segue into our hot seat segment, which is just a series of rapid fire questions related to business hobbies and everything else. Um, I want to start with more of the more granular stuff. And you had mentioned, obviously, you, you know, you being a Mac user and, you know, being a content creator, what are three apps that you personally can't live without? Oh man. Oh, this is, this is tough. This is tough. Um, yeah, this is this is this is this is not iMovie is one of them. I think I think that's an app. Yep. Um. Ah, oh, it 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 it's it, it, StreamYard obviously, but that that's that that's an application. That's like a website. I don't know if that counts. No, no, no. It's fine. Um, it's the, you know the just three applications or apps either way. Um, I'll and, broaden it for you. <laughs> and, and 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 Instagram and Facebook. I, I can't live without them. Um, just, just because they, they, a lot of people are on there. A lot of information is on there and, uh, it's just a really good research tool. Well, on the subject of Instagram and Facebook, what's one website you find yourself recommending to people often? Oh man. Um, YouTube, YouTube is the greatest website ever. Um, you know, you know, I, I know, I know it sounds like, like a, uh, cop out answer. No, it doesn't. Every question can be answered on YouTube mm-hmm. because YouTube is the second world's largest search engine. Yes, sir. So if you want to find something and you need answers to questions or interviews or you just want to be entertained or you're having a bad day, YouTube is the answer to every problem out there. There you go. What's uh, a fav- your favorite piece of tech besides your phone or your computer? Favorite piece of tech? Um... I guess my iPad, uh, just just because because it, it can do everything, and then it's my Xbox One nice. X as well, because because it's just it can do everything as well. Um, obviously, as a, as a comic book reader, what are you reading now? Oh man, I'm reading a lot of manga now. Really? So yeah, no, I'm I'm taking a break from from comics. Okay, and I've shifted over into reading a lot of manga. So I'm reading a lot of things like I just started reading Beasters and uh, basically the, the, the basic premise of it is that you have these anthropomorphic characters. So it's like wolves and other creatures that, that are all sort of would be in a forest together and they're in high school and some of them are herbivores, some of them are omnivores, some of them are carnivores and all of a sudden a murder takes place where one of the herbivores gets killed and then it becomes a murder mystery of who did it, how did it happen, 
what happened, and then there's all these subplots that all tie in, and it's very psychological, and it's very interesting, and you don't know what's happening. I'm in the middle of it. So, gotcha. But it's, it's, it's on Netflix as well as an anime, and a really interesting show, and it fits right into to just making you think about certain things, saying, what's going on here, and how do you even conceptualize to write this? And it's just it's just different and mixing it up. But as far as comics, I read a lot of Xenoscope and I read a lot of, you know, Batman is what, what I really gravitate towards. Got you. I know you had mentioned your 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 Xbox as as uh, a piece of tech. What's your favorite game or your the last? Actually, what's the last game that you played? Last game I played was Forza Horizon 4. Nice. And I'm in Lego World. And it's the most fun you could possibly have in that game is driving around in Legos. And and, and it's, it's, it's a blast. There's four Lego cars. There needs to be more. And it's brilliant what they've done with that game. It's just a blast of a game. And, and I could waste hours in that game. And I have. What's the last item you purchased that was less than $100 that made your life easier or more enjoyable? Oh, man. Last, last item, less than 100 bucks. Um, oh, this is, this is, this is tough. Oh, actually, there is a good one. There is a good one. I'm actually going to get its name correct. Um, it's called Hashtag Scrapper. It's made my life easier because... When you're putting out content, it organizes like the top ten hashtags for keywords. Wow. Okay. That's a it's that's an awesome words. recommendation. And 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 it's 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 great. It's it was developed by somebody at ClickFunnels and a brilliant, brilliant product, cheap product, useful product. There's no subscription with it. It's like straight up ten bucks. And uh, it's 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 an amazing product. And that's a ten dollar one time purchase? I think it's 10 or 15 bucks. Yeah. One time purchase. That's outstanding. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it, it does its job and, and it's not perfect, but it's like 90% perfect. You know, it's 90% wonderful. 90% of the time. Hey, that works which is better than most things out there. This is true. What's uh, a non-negotiable for you when it comes to business? Um, my, my, my ad rate right now is not negotiable on what I charge for sponsorships. Absolutely. You never shortchange yourself. Hell yeah. <laughs> especially, uh, especially in bulk, especially yep. in bulk. You know, you know, I already discount in bulk and I don't move off my bulk number anymore. It's uh, it's funny. There's a clip that's been circulating with uh, Fat Joe, the rapper, and he says yesterday's price is not today's price. And um, like the quote, it sounds so silly, but I've just it's just resonated so much. So I like that you you essentially just said yesterday's price. <laughs> no, 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 because and, and, and I'm raising my rates. Come, come, you know, a few days from now, I'm raising my rates. And, and, and I respect and I lock people in. So if you get in, I'll lock somebody in for about three months just to be courteous. And, and I and also understand the differences that if somebody pays up front that you don't want to screw somebody over. But at the same time, I mean, I'm raising my rates and I'm doubling my rates November 1st. So it's it's not a, it's not a game anymore when you're making real money. Yep. And he, don't sell yourself short and and. Advertising is expensive, and uh, 
I want a piece of the pie. That's all I'm going to say. There you go. Has the pandemic made you more or less productive? Yeah, I think it, I think it's made me a lot more productive. Um, in in, in, a, in, a, in many ways, and in others, less productive. Um, I've done ninety interviews versus thirty five a year in 2020, and I did. I'm hitting 180 to 185, meaning. And last year I did 90. So I think I'm more productive. I think I'm a lot, you know, smarter. But I've also gained some weight, and I haven't exactly been working out. So I think I'm 80 percent, but I've given up the 20. There you go. In other areas. What's something you've changed your mind on? They're good. What can I say? Twinkies are good. Hey, hey, ain't nothing wrong with that. No, 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 no judgments here. Um, What's something you've changed your mind on in the last 12 months? Oh, man. Um, Crypto is a big one where obviously I backed out of crypto. And in the last 12 months, I've gotten a little bit more into things like Ethereum and Algorand. Um, and, And definitely foreseeing, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrencies is a big one um yeah so so that that that's kind of the big one for me well we've talked about uh business tech and everything else got to talk a little toys because obviously that's one of the things we we talk about here um what was your favorite toy or collectible growing up oh man favorite toy and collectible Ooh. um <laughs> a bunch of action figures that were like dragon ball z things that i just love to play with nice do you still collect any of that outside of comics and pokemon cards are you collecting any other uh any other tangible stuff you know marvel legends or statues or anything in that category i i collect a few statues um i collect some anime statues and some xenoscope statues and a few comic stuff um but again those things are just personal items right um you know, I'm not, I'm not looking to sell that stuff, and they're fun, and and, and they're, they're they're just beautifully done and beautifully casted. And when you're talking like $150, $200, you know, things. But I'm also extremely selective now because of space. But right. uh, yeah, I love it, and it's great. And I collect Pop Funkos too. Really? What was the I last Pop you bought? What was the last Pop you bought? Pop, last Pop I bought was a trifigure law from one piece okay and i was i was lucky because i got the chase variant and the regular variant and i just happened to get lucky randomly they gave me a chase variant that's cool which glows in the dark and so that's like a 60 70 pop and uh, they're they're cool and so i like those things a lot nice um when you were a kid what did you want to be when you grew up Oh man, I kind of wanted to be a lawyer, and then I realized that lawyers are miserable. When did you make money in other sectors? <laughs> when did you make that realization? When did you come to that realization? Out of curiosity, I came to the realization, sort of in college, that I would much rather work a nine to five job and not have to deal with 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 clients yelling at you and other things going on, and that I'm more fitted for bureaucracy and government. And that I don't want to be tortured as far as, uh, you know, I want to come home from work at five o'clock or six o'clock and do other things. Gotcha. All right. Last question to wrap up the segment. Um, I call you up or I email you and I go, Andrew, how's the business doing a year from now? What do you hope to respond with? 
just bought a house with all the money that you people gave me on my Kickstarter. <laughs> nice. Hey, that works. That works. All right. Uh, our last segment of the show is what I like to call reach one, teach one nice one piece of actionable information. we like to give to our audience on the way out. We frame it up differently for our guests in your case, especially with so many uh, different topics that you cover much like we do. I wanted to ask if you were speaking to a bunch of high school seniors and they wanted to get into alternative investing, what's one piece of actionable advice you'd give them to start them on their journey? I, 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 I sort of said it a little bit before, but I'm going to say it again is I would say, look, you know, I, I think the best thing that you can do is trial by fire. Mm. So I would say, hey, you know, take, you know, $80 for, for the next per month. So, so, so $240 over the next three months. And every week you're going to go to a comic shop on Wednesday and you're going to pick up a DC book. You're going to pick up a Marvel book and you're going to pick up an image book. And then that should run you about 12 bucks. And then the next $2 or so, the next $8, you're going to pick up another two books or whatever looks cool. And then, you know, at the end of each month, you're going to see how you're doing in your portfolio. And then, you know, you're going to be picking up essentially every month, 80 bucks, you know, for dollars a book, you're going to be picking up over the course of three months, about 60 bucks. And then you're going to figure out real quick, okay, this book is appreciating. This book is not appreciating. And you're actually going to see in real time for $240. And you're going to say, okay, now I need to get rid of these books and not go down this path. And I'm going to go follow this path where these books have gone up by $2 here, $2 there, and so on and so forth. And, and what that does is that that actually puts real money in the game. You see real growth. You also experience pain. And it steers you in the correct direction. And you're going to see it in a very short flip position. But then fast forward, if you do that, you know, and then you go back down to like $40 in month four or so. The reason why we do 80 and the reason why I say doing 80 is that it creates a pain and pleasure at a much higher rate. So that when you readjust down, you still have that emotional connection to it. And then fast forward, if everybody does it for the next year at $40 for the next nine months, you're going to really people are going to figure out how to do it really quickly because they felt the pain and they felt the pleasure. And that's what people respond to it more so than anything else is pain because people go out of their way to avoid pain. To, if they don't get pleasure, that's fine, but they will avoid pain. And that's what I want to create because we're creating real pain with real money. And now people understand loss and they also understand gains. All right. I think that's a, that's a great way to close out the segment. Where can people connect with you? Where can people find all your content? Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty easy to connect with. So obviously, popanimecomics.com is my website. I just wrote an article there talking about animals in combat and graphic novels, a really cool article. And you could get a bunch of social media off of that site. Um, but if you don't want to go to my website, that's cool. You could A, find – I'm everywhere in the podcast world, Pop Anime Comics Lounge. Um, I haven't released an episode in a while. Just I'm on hiatus with a lot of stuff going on. Um, but there's 124 episodes out there, so you can check that out. And then even going further out, you could go check me out on Facebook at Pop Anime Comics. And I post a bunch of stuff up on Facebook. It's a cool Facebook page, as well as I stream every Tuesday at 7 o'clock and every Tuesday at 9 o'clock and Wednesday at 7 o'clock and Wednesday at 9 o'clock. I might be streaming this Saturday with a special guest interview because that happens as well. 
Um, and all the interviews can be rewatched. It's free to do it. All the content is up there. So that's also cool. Um, and then even going further out there, um, I'm on YouTube, Pop Anime Comics. I Twitch, it's Pop Anime Comics. If I didn't mention it, my Twitter is at Pop Anime Comics. Instagram is Pop Anime Comics. Uh, there's a bunch of other social media that's Pop Anime Comics. I typically own Pop Anime Comics. And then going further on November 1st, and this is the first place I'm announcing, I am launching a Kickstarter to fund uh, the remainder of Season 3 and even fund possibly Season 4 of Conversations in Pop Culture. And so that's going to be a very exciting you know, Kickstarter where I'm offering guest spots for comic guests, uh, wrestlers, cosplayers, voice actors, as well as a bunch of sponsorship tiers, uh, live reads, and a few other things that are really going to be cool to talk about. So it's something that's going to be very exciting. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I could fail. It could be the greatest thing, but we're going ahead and doing it. And it's super exciting. And I uh, can't wait to launch and see what happens. Awesome. And, uh, you know, key here is to try. Doesn't matter if we are successful or we fail, but just getting in the game sometimes matters. Awesome. When when the Kickstarter goes live, we definitely would love to share it with our audience. Um, Andrew, thank you for taking the time to share the toys and tech of your trade. Man, what a great conversation with Andrew. It's it's one of the things that I've enjoyed over the course of the 50 episodes of this podcast that has really made it a joy to do. And that's not just connecting with all these amazing creators, but learning a lot from them and then just connecting with them on a lot of our common interests, plus things that I'm learning about and I'm just getting into that other people are really savvy on. I, I learn things along the way. I mean, crypto is one of those things I'm starting to really get acquainted with, really starting to do more in the space. And, you know, I'll, I'll eventually discuss more of that in future podcasts. But to be able to sit down and kind of talk shop with somebody who's um, collecting books, collecting cards, doing all the stuff that that so many of us are passionate about. And more importantly, taking a lot of that and turning it into a revenue stream to grow their business. Um, a couple of a, a good friend of mine says, you know, selling selling your drugs to buy more drugs. And obviously, you know, that's not, you know, a drug analogy aside. It's true. I mean, a lot of times we take some of the things that we're into and we rely on the on the proceeds from those interests to fund other endeavors, other dreams, other other goals and other projects. And I think that it's it's interesting because to some degree, a lot of people look at it like you're you're just cashing out on your passions. But I just think that you're redistributing um, your interests into other things while using those passions as a vehicle to get to get stuff done. That's, again, just how I look at it. But to see someone like Andrew do that and not only do it, but be successful and build a successful uh, content creation space, do have a successful podcast and just overall just be successful doing what he loves is just a lesson that I hope everybody and anyone that listens to this can take away. So with that said, um, make sure to check out Andrew's podcast and all the links to all the stuff Andrew's working on in the show notes for this episode. And of course, there'll be links to everything we discussed as well. As always, some of those items may contain affiliate links, which if you click, uh, we receive a small commission, which of course go, goes towards making this podcast, the Rageworks podcast network and the Rageworks brand better 
for you, the listeners, the viewers, and of course, the readers as well. Last but not least, as always, if you want to connect with us or be a guest on a future episode of the podcast, feel free to email me, rich at rageworks.net. If you're also using any of those podcast booking services like Podmatch, uh, Podit, and any of the other ones, we're usually on those as well. Just look up uh, Rageworks or Toys and Tech of the Trade and send us a message through those platforms, and we'll definitely love to have you on the show and share your story and As crazy as it sounds, you know, we're wrapping up season two and season three. We got a bunch of dope, successful, um, amazing, talented folks that are just going to come on board, share their stories and really just give you people, well, give you the listener nuggets of information that hopefully you can apply to your businesses and your endeavors and grow them as well. As always, you can connect with us on the social media platforms of your choice. Feel free to look up Rageworks. Uh, The Rageworks Podcast Network has its own Twitter account, so you can look up uh, Rageworks Net on Twitter and connect with just the podcast network there. And as always, make sure to check out all of our other great shows from all of our amazing creators. And as always, we're always looking for great talent to work with and help them start their podcasting journey. So if you'd like to uh, discuss having your show on the Rageworks Podcast Network, reach out. Uh, We have a contact form on the site. Would love to discuss it with you. We have a really great tight-knit group of folks and a very, very easy turnkey way to get your podcast up and running, utilizing, obviously, all the tips and tactics and things that we do here at Rageworks and has led to pretty much all of our shows having uh, triple-digit and even four-digit downloads in some cases. Um, Huge shout-out to those hardworking creators. I love all of you guys and... I appreciate you all riding with us. All right. With that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. Join us in two weeks with episode 51 as we kick off season three of Toys and Tech of the Trade. As always, thank you guys for your support. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Peace.
Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the Rageworks Podcast Network, your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageworksNetwork.com.